and he brought us both together and it's very enjoyable because I've known so many people over the past where either a husband was open, his eyes were open to God's way and other times the wife was and not the husband and it seems to be really tough. But you still have to ask yourself, why, why here? Of course, then we read the scriptures and they say, God says, come out of the cities and go to the field. So that's one of the reasons that you know, we come out here to the, to the desert. Because God says, come out of the cities. And then when you look at the cities, you don't want to live there anyway. I mean, you can turn on, in our local channels that we have is Phoenix. And I don't think there's a day goes by that there's not at least one murder, robbery, and that's just one city. If you put them all together across the country, there's tons of these things. People are being murdered, raped, pilfered. You know, you can't you steal kids. They, they have child pornography. They have adult, you know, Pornography, they say it's adult entertainment. It's pornography. It's trash. It's something that God destroyed. It's Sodom and Gomorrah. He hated that. So, why did we come out here? Well, we partly come out here to get rid of that stuff. I enjoy living on this piece of property and maybe having to go off the property once every week or two or three. You know, sometimes it'd be great. It's only every three weeks. But I have to ask myself, why are you here? What's the purpose? What's my particular purpose here? Have you thought of that? Have you brought it down to yourself? Why am I here? Why, why did God select me and not someone else? Well, I can read 1 Corinthians 2, you know, and there's chapter 1 where it says, Before you see your calling, brethren, Oh, you know, well, I want to look at that. He says, see your calling. I didn't choose the great and the mighty, did I? Okay, so he started putting me down. I don't know about the rest of you, but he put me down. He said, you didn't call the great and mighty, but he called the base and the weak. So that he could confound those that are the great and the mighty and the powerful. So I get a little thought there. Well, okay, I'm here because I'm a nothing too many times I think of all the people God called, I'm probably the <coughs> the lowest piece of dirt around, you know. I don't have the knowledge, I don't have the background that some have. But yet God didn't choose people like um, the multi rich people, uh, Ted Turner and that group, or the president, <coughs> big oil men. He didn't select those that are quote, thought that they are the prophets. I mean, sometimes people select that as a name for themselves, but God didn't call them, put them in there. I get a call from people out there and say, you're in the wrong place. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know God. And it gets discouraging sometimes, doesn't it? Somebody challenges your ability to serve God. And then you find out that the person that they're trying to up front tells them, you'll never be in the church, our church. You know, well, okay, I don't want to be in their church. I had that confrontation with a person, I think it was in 96, who went to the Feast of Tabernacles, and someone told me, 
you come here and try to pull away from our church. And I said, okay, hey, I guess I'm in the wrong place because I thought this was one of God's churches. But if it's your church, hey, you're right. I shouldn't be here. But we have people that way. And I had a man call me just last night saying that uh, he was personally told not to contact them anymore. They put him in jail. To me, that's a red flag because God says you're to love your enemies and to do good to them. And yet here's a top-ranking person saying if you, if you talk to anybody about us, or we're going to put you in jail. Well, what, what does that mean? Why is he where he is? Why did he come? That's discouraging. And sometimes we do something to each other. Sometimes it becomes very discouraging. You come to the point where you say, why, why am I here? Why don't I just quit? Why don't I give it up? I think it would be a whole lot easier to be a, a person sitting occupying a chair, wouldn't it? I mean, you don't have to stay up till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning working on a sermon. You don't have to. Or a sermonette. But sometimes it takes that long. But it's easy to discourage each other. And, and I get discouraged sometimes. Pretty discouraged because I can't accomplish things that I'd like to do. I can remember being a beekeeper and throwing 90-pound boxes of honey over my head for three and four hours at a whack. But then when I got to be 55, I thought I was doing really good if I could get them to the truck. And then when I got a little older, I thought I was doing real good if I could even get them off the hive. <laughs> so, you, you know, things like that, you get, you get weak. And so then I get discouraged and then I think, well, wait a minute, let's look at the scriptures. Do I have a right to be discouraged over them? whatever happens? Do I have a right to quit? Do I have a right to... Hold up and do something else. No. Look at Matthew chapter 6, because here's our example. We talk about being in a position, I'm sorry, 16, Matthew 16. I dropped this clarity of, of a reading problem. Matthew chapter 16. It's here somewhere. Verse 1. Now, here, here's our, our example. Here's a person that had a right to get discouraged, didn't he? Chapter 1, verse 1. And the Pharisees also, with the Sadducees, came tempting, desiring him that he would show them a sign from heaven. It wasn't the first time. These people didn't like Christ. They sought every possible way that there was to discourage him. Well, we know it wasn't described in Pharisees so much. It was the, the Satan. It was his ideas, his thoughts to go out and discourage Christ. How many times? You can read it in Matthew chapter 22, 16 through 18. Same thing. Here the scribes and the Pharisees were trying to catch him doing something wrong. They looked, he, was, he was looked at through a magnifying glass. Why? Maybe they were jealous. People flocked to Christ. 
He had every right to be discouraged, but he didn't, did he? Chapter 22, verse 35 again, says the same, a similar thing. Chapter 22. You're probably there, I'm not. 34. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Hey, he figured out a way to put these other people down. Let's let's get together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, if you know lawyers, and my wife worked for one for 18 years, you know what they do. He was a lawyer. Asked him a question, tempting him, Asking him, trying to get him to con- to do something because they got that magnifying glass out, you know. Maybe it was a microscope trying to find what was little tiny things that he was doing. Christ- but Christ was different than I am. <laughs> Probably different than you are too. Because Christ was able to control his mind. And sometimes we're not able to control our minds, are we? Sometimes we can fly off the handle. It's like the uh, crows that ate a whole bunch of prunes. They sat on the pump handle and tried and drank some water, and they tried to fly away, and they right down hit the ground. You know, that's flying off the handle when you're full of prunes. <laughs> well, sometimes I find I do that too. I mean, it's possible. And it's, it's just discouraging. But Christ was faced with those things. Remember Christ right in front of the, uh, of the Sanhedrin or whatever it was. They were going to crucify him that day. They paid somebody to lie about him. I mean, couldn't that be discouraging if somebody's paid to, to lie about you? Well, Christ had every right to be discouraged. But he wasn't. Because he had a purpose for being here. He had a purpose in mind for doing what he had to do. And sometimes when I go back and say, well, why am I here? What is the purpose of me being here? And have I purposed my mind to do those things that I'm supposed to do. Daniel chapter 1. Here's a young man. Well, actually was four of them. There was a whole group of people. Israel had gone contrary to God. They'd left God. So he tried to tell them through the prophets what was going to happen. We don't listen sometimes. We don't listen today. God sends a servant to us. He tells us to do some things, and we don't listen. We just don't listen. We're human. We backslide too many times. <clears throat> so here's a whole group of people brought into the king's ransom, if you want. Verse 3, And the king spoke to his master of the eunuchs. Now, what he did was he took all these young people you know, you want to be discouraged? You're a young man, you know, you haven't been married, you don't have any kids, and you really decide to have a family, and they make you a eunuch. You know, that would discourage you. At least it discouraged me. Maybe if you didn't want kids, it'd be great. 
But if you want to have a family, and they take you in and, and, and operate on you, you could get discouraged about it. So here they brought all these young people in, made them eunuchs. And we find down in verse 8, why this one, or these four people, why the four people were not discouraged? Verse 8, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. How could he get discouraged? It was a bad situation. But he made it a good situation. He decided in his mind, he's here, God brought him there, he's got a purpose, he's got, God's got a purpose for bringing me here, so he decided in his mind, and so did the other three, that they wouldn't defile themselves. And it's interesting, because that's something that sometimes is hard to do. I know we're not all alike. We don't all have the same background. We don't all think the same place. But our purpose should be to walk like Christ. Spiritually, physically. But sometimes we, we make mistakes and we fall. And thinking on this sermon last night, I trying to find a reason, you know, for being here. I went to the internet and brought up a sermon and listened again to the sermon that was given to us on Matthew 5, verse 7. Because it's so easy for me to be discouraged, or a lot of times I discourage many of you. I have to admit, I'm I can be a total jerk sometimes. <laughs> Don't mean to. You know, it's not my desires, maybe, but sometimes I do that. Maybe because I don't have that same purpose here in Daniel, that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or as their their names are, original names. They they knew what God wanted. You know, we heard in the sermonette. It's interesting because I thought about this same thing in the sermonette that, that Gordon brought out in the sermonette about Paul. It says, as he read there, he said it was God's purpose. He purposed that Paul would be called. Well, then I think, well, you know, God called Paul. He knocked him to the ground blinded him. And he was a man that had a purpose to destroy the church. It was his mindset to destroy the church because he was a religious man and he believed the way they did. And he was going to go out there and he was going to destroy the church of God. But it was God's purpose that it didn't get destroyed. So he knocked him to the ground, makes him go to one of the people that he was going to kill. Humbled him, didn't he? Also humbled the man that had to anoint him and allow him to get his eyesight back. I mean, that was humbling for him too. Because he had to see, he had a purpose in his life, and that was to give Paul back his eyesight. 
And then we can say, well, but Paul was directly spoken to by Christ. So he could make a purpose. Man, I mean, I talk mouth to mouth, hand to hand, eye to eye to Christ for three and a half years. Yeah, if I did that, man, my purpose, there is nothing going to change in my life. But has he talked to you eye to eye or me eye to eye? No. He does right here in this book if I'm willing to say, yep, that's the mirror, that's Christ talking to me, or if I hear the one God chose to be at this time to lead this little group, and I fully believe that God chose Daryl and put him here to teach me. I don't know about anybody else, but it's to teach me. And sometimes I hit heads with him too. But I love the man, and I know he's God's servant. And I know he's got a purpose, and I've seen him with a purpose of mind when, when we came up with the Passover changes, he had a mindset to find out what God wanted done. And he went out and fasted and prayed until God opened his understanding. Now, that is a purpose of mind. That's having a mindset. I don't have that mindset. I don't like to fast. Maybe some do. <laughs> but Daryl don't either. He just has that mindset. He has a purpose. He understands his purpose is to guide and direct each one of us that we don't have to go through him and then to the Father because as he shows and Christ shows and the book tells us that the veil was ripped open. So he shows us how to go from us directly to God. I remember a song I um, used to like to hear by Burl Ives. It was a telephone to glory. Well, we have that telephone to glory. We can pick it up any time of the day or night and talk directly to the Father. But then we ask God, this person's sick. Please heal them. You promised. And they don't get healed. They might die, as one, one of ours did. And we sit there and say, why, God? Why? Well, why don't people get healed? And maybe we don't know the background or the purpose or the reason that God's got in it. But he's got a purpose for it. Maybe to draw us closer together, I don't know. But he's got a purpose in it. You know, back in Ruth, what was Ruth's attitude? Here she married Naomi's son. Orpha married another son. Ruth's husband, I mean, Naomi's husband dies. Orpha's husband dies. Ruth's husband dies. Discouraging. You know, poor Naomi said, what am I going to do? I've got no more kids. Ruth says, I want to stay with you. She purposed in her mind that what Ruth's family was, what Ruth's life was, was what she wanted to do. And if you go back there and read it, you can read it in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 17. She said, where you die, I'm going to die. Do we say that to our Savior? Where you die, we will die? You were persecuted? Hey, bring on persecution. <laughs> because I want to be like you. 
Is it our purpose to fulfill the Father's will? It was Ruth's purpose to live with Naomi, to help her, to comfort her, to support her when she needed it. Something that for each one of us to think. How about David? There's another example of somebody who had had a purpose. David had a lot of enemies. In Psalm 119, verse 115 says, Depart from me, you evildoers. He didn't want the evildoers around him. He had purposed in his mind he did not want to be around evildoers. For I will keep the commandments of my God. So he, it was his purpose. I am going to stay with God, proverbial hell or high water. It don't make any difference what comes up. It's just like, like a marriage. You want to take a marriage vow, what do we say? I will live with you in death or life, in rich or poor, sickness in hell. I will dedicate my life to you. And then one of the mates goes out and does something they shouldn't do. Comes discouraging. Well, what do you do? How do you react? It says, when you took a vow in marriage, no matter what happens, I'm going to stay there with them. We're going to take a vow of marriage to Christ. No matter what comes along, are we going to fulfill that vow or are we going to take it lightly? David was set upon and discouraged from time to time. What about the time when, you know, Saul tried to kill him? How many times? The poor guy was, you know, he was just doing what he was supposed to. He knew he was anointed king. He knew that. He wasn't a child. He was in his 20s. He knew he was a king, going to be king. He was sent there to encourage the king. The king tried to kill him and tried to kill him and tried to kill him. Finally, he had to flee. And the king set out to get him. And every time he turned around, there was the king chasing him down. You know, hey, I'm to be king. God, why do you let this guy try to kill me? And he kept having to flee. Well, one day, as things would go, David and his, some of his men, some of his strong, mighty men were in a cave. And God allowed the king to come into the cave to relieve himself. And it was dark, because the king was probably bashful, and he didn't want, he wanted privacy. The men said, now's your chance. Kill him. He said, David, oh, right, man, I'll be king now. I mean, it wasn't just one word, you know, this... Just whispering went back and forth. You know, we're here. We're strong. We can take him out. You know, let's do it. Let's get it done. Well, David purposed in his heart, didn't he, that he wouldn't go contrary to God's way of life. But he did go up and sneak and cut off a piece of his garments. And then he was so upset at himself because of what he did. The other time, 
God said, well, let's see if David really loves me, if his purpose is to do my will. Because I'm going to make him king, but i got to know he's really going to be a man after my heart. He put the whole camp to sleep. Here's men hired to be armed guards. You know, when I was in the Air Force, and we were put out there during the Cuban Missile Crisis, I stood guard at a shack in the middle of nowhere. To me, it was a worthless place to be. Because who wanted that shack anyway out there in the middle of the uh, desert in New Mexico? It was 25 miles to the nearest town or more. It was five miles to the base. If I'd have gone to sleep, they would have shot me. Now here David's troops are sitting around and seeing what's happening. They see the camp of, of King Saul. God puts them all to sleep, including the armed guards whose life was supposed to give for the king. But they went to sleep too. And David went in there, and his men said, Kill him! (laughs) But it wasn't David's purpose, was it? He purposed his mind that he was going to do it God's way. No matter what happened. And even after he took his sword or his spear and his watercraft, he stood up on a hill and said, Here I am, guys, and showed the king that he had been in the camp. Now, I wouldn't have wanted to be in the armed guard at that point in time because they probably lost their life. But David could have killed him twice. Did David get discouraged? Many times. Here's another instance. And we're not going to turn to these because you know them. I mean, they're things that we understand. They're there for a purpose. David committed adultery, didn't he? He took one of his top officer's wives. God allowed it. Put the sin. He probably allowed the whole scenario to happen to see what was going to happen. And he committed adultery. And he had the man murdered. Just like he did it himself, but he had him murdered. Well, God says, let's see what David's heart is. And he sent Nathan the prophet out. And Nathan didn't come up there and point his finger in his face and said, you're a bad guy, did he? Now, here's a person that God used on the outside. And sometimes when there's conflict between people, somebody on the outside can have a, have a better approach and point things out. So Nathan comes up there and says, you know, there's this guy, real rich, got a lot of, a lot of servants and a lot of cattle and sheep. and got all this really, really rich man. He's Ted Turner in his day. And here's another guy that's got one sheep. It's his favorite. But it's a good-looking sheep. This boy, it's, it's just plump. It's just ready to eat. And, and so the guy went out. Instead of getting some of his own flock, he took the one sheep that the one man had. And David got mad. I mean, he was really angry. He said, let's go out there and take that guy's life. He got mad about it. And what did God do? 
he threw Nathan and said, You know, David, you're that guy. You're that scoundrel. <laughs> you killed your best friend's wife. I mean, uh, you, be- you took your best friend's wife and had him killed. So we know that, that God thought, Hey, David's still a man after my heart because we can go to Psalm 51 and read the repentance of David, can't we? It was David's heart and his purpose in life to do what God wanted. But why? What made David that way? We're going to go and read Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm. Too many times we read through that, memorize in, in the, you know, the Protestant era, you know, everybody memorized that as one of the memory things and they get the kids to do it. It starts out in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. Whose shepherd? Hebrews 13.20 says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. So here we're talking about Jesus Christ, aren't we? Christ is that great shepherd. David, when he recorded this psalm, had to think about that. He had to consider who is that shepherd. It had to be Christ speaking through him. John 10, verses 11 through 16. John 10, 11 through 16. Christ is saying, I am the good shepherd. He's telling the people all around him, you know who I am? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. Christ had a purpose to come here. He came to lead us, humanity, not only us, but all the world. Because, you know, in John 3, 16 and 17 says, Christ came not to destroy the world, but to lead everybody toward God. So he says, I'm the good shepherd. He came to lead humanity, and right now, he came to lead his purpose. Christ's purpose was to lead all people to the Father. But he that is a hireling, so, you know, if there's a hireling out there, and we've been in the church long enough to see there have been hirelings, they wanted for themselves. They did things for themselves. He that's a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own sheep are not, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches them and scatters the sheep. What happened in the church of God? Hirelings came in. The wolf came around. Man, did they split. <laughs> and so did the sheep. And some were caught. And some were destroyed. And some fell aside. The hireling flees because he's a hireling. He's not really a shepherd. A good shepherd, a shepherd that God points over his people, really spends the time loving his people and trying to lead them closer to their purpose 
and why they are here and what is their purpose. So the hireling flees because they're not his sheep. I, Christ says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. He knows your heart, no. Jeremiah 17, uh, 10 says, God knows your mind. He reaches in and sees the way you think. And he's the only one that can do that. He's the only one who can understand where we came from and what we're doing. He says, I'm a good shepherd. I know my sheep. And am known. I'm known. My sheep know me. I've never been around a shepherd. But I'm told that a shepherd, a good shepherd, has sheep out there. The sheep know that that shepherd. And he can lead them any place. They follow him. As the Father knows me, even so, I the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep. What's our purpose? To be here. To lay our life down for God's sheep? To give up every facet of our life that we want to do. To just pour our hearts out. To help. To encourage. To show. To lead. And it might take our life. You know, we can hear the sermons. And God says, some in the church are going to be persecuted and killed. They're going to have to be sacrificed. Well, I don't cherish that thought because I think the guy that stands up here, whether it's a sermon, sermonette, or song leading, or, 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 you know, that's the ones they're going to come and get because they say if I get rid of those that are in the leadership, they're gone. Scribes and Pharisees knew that. That's what they said. They said if you kill the leader, the rest will disappear. But if it's of God, it don't make any difference how many of them you kill, they'll still stay together. Because so you don't you know you don't want to fight against God. So Christ says a good shepherd will lay his life down for his sheep. And other sheep have I which are not of this field. So here he's talking to the people then about us today. We're the other sheep. We weren't there with him at that time, but he talks about us being there. So other sheep I have which are not as full. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall be one fold and one shepherd. Christ is a shepherd. But he has those that help lead them to him. So we're a part of that same fold. Well, you know, go back again into uh, Hebrews 11, the last verse. What does it say? These people are waiting, just like you said here, these people are waiting, that whole multitude of people that gave their life for God's sheep are waiting for us to make the change. That's what they're waiting for. First Peter 2.25 That shepherd, the great shepherd, the only shepherd, for you were a sheep going astray, what he's saying. We were sheep that went astray. I look back at worldwide. Man, we scattered everywhere. We had no leader. We had no shepherd at the time. But now our return 
unto the shepherd and bishop of our soul. Who's that? Again, the Lord Christ is my shepherd. Do I say that? David did. It had to be tremendously on his mind. That's why he could do these things. He could understand it was his purpose to follow God, to follow Christ, because he knew Christ was his shepherd. And no matter what happened, he'd be all right. I shall have no want. Oh, I'm not going to have any wants. It don't make any difference. I'm not going to want a lot of different things. Matthew 6, verse 33. Seek you first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and everything else will be given to you. That's what He says. If we just put our purpose of life to do what Christ wants done. Singleness of mind, isn't it? A mindset that says, I'm going to do it God's way. That's the important part. And there are other scriptures I've got marked down here. You can look in Romans 8.32 or Hebrews 13. I mean, it's throughout the Bible. God says He will take care of us. He promises us many things. We will have no wants if Christ is our purpose of life and doing things His way. Verse 2 of Psalm 23. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me by beside still waters. In Isaiah 30, 23 states, Then shall He give the rain of the seed, and you shall sow the ground with, with all, and the bread of increase of the earth, and it shall be the fat and plenteous, and in that day shall the cattle feed and be in large pastures. Because He's going to lead us to a place where we're going to have all that we need. Pastures where our cows and sheep and goats and turkeys and chickens and all the other stuff can live and, and, and prosper. And where we can plant crops. He's promised that. He said He will do that for us. I look at some of the gardens around here. They're spectacular. I mean, I can't grow a garden good because I don't put the effort into it. But some of the gardens that you people plant, they really are fantastic for the desert. A dried, arid place where things aren't supposed to grow. You know, Gordon brought that out in the sermonette too. That how prosperous the ground is with a little care. Well, God looks at us as plants and says how prosperous the ground is with a little care. Because we as plants grow up to be spectacular beauties in His sight. And that's what He wants. But we have the purpose in our heart to put our feet in the right fertilizer. Because we put in the wrong fertilizer, fertilizer that has some uh, malathion or maybe some Roundup in or 2D4 in, we'll die. 
You know, these are herbicides, you know, that, that kill the plants. And sometimes herbicides kill us. Maybe it's not 2,4-D or, or, or uh, whatever else there is out there, but it could be our attitudes toward one another. We can kill each other. We just can. Ezekiel 34, 13. Ezekiel 34, 13. I got one advantage. I wrote all that down. Printed it out when I searched through the Bible. <laughs> Besides, I can make it big enough print, I can read it too. <laughs> Ezekiel 34, 13. And I will bring them out from the people. Out from the said, Come out of her, you, my people. Come out of this world. So I'll bring them out from them. From the people, and I will gather them from the countries, and I will bring them to their own land. And I will feed them upon the mountains of Israel, by the rivers, and in the habited places of the country. God's making a promise to us. He says, I will make you have a good life. I will give you everything. I'm going to provide it for you. Wasn't that the Garden of Eden? They had everything provided for them, and they turned their back on it. I mean, you know, they listened to a wrong influence. They got discouraged with God. They took a little 2,4-D or a little bit of malathion or whatever it was, and they had to suffer the consequences. He leads us beside still waters. He leads us to the place where we can get fed spiritually. He brought us to a place where he says, I am going to give you still waters. I'm going to give you water, the spirit of life. And he's feeding us with that. He gives us that opportunity. He wants us to grow. He wants us to be his children. But we have to gain that. That's why David had the mindset to do it God's way. Because he read this. He wrote this. Well, we should be able to read this and say, Man, look what God's offered to me. I need to set my mind on doing things so that I can participate in all this. Verse 3. He restores my soul. So we get weak. We get discouraged. And yet he says, I'll restore your soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. So we get sermons that say, you're going wrong. What does it talk about in the millennium? These people are going to start to go off the track. And a voice behind them is going to say, uh-uh, that's the wrong way. This is the way to go. Well, we get it here, don't we? This book, in sermons, when he sets his servant here, Speaking of Daryl, it's telling us, this is the way to go. Walk this path. My way is easy, Christ said. The path is narrow, but it's an easy path. You have the way to destruction. You can trip, fall, run, whatever you want, and make it. And 90% of the church we know is going into tribulation. Do you want to be part of the 90%? Or do we want to set our mind to do it God's way? He restores your soul. So when you get discouraged, we have this book. We have the Psalms. 
David discouraged so many times. He wrote psalms and would sing about God. And he'd get back on a high again. Behind. Because he realized God is in charge. God led him in the right path. So he made mistakes. When David committed that mortal sin of killing and committing adultery, what did he do? What did God do? He led David in the path back toward righteousness through Nathan the prophet. God didn't have to speak to David personally. He used the prophet. So he can restore our souls. In Hosea 14, verse 4, Hosea 14, 4 says, I will heal their backsliding. <laughs> How many times it is a backslide? God tried to heal it, tried to heal it, tried to heal it. God says, we can slip and fall backward. Like I was bringing out, I listened to that, when I went through this, I listened to that sermon on, on mercy. That, to me, was really encouraging because God is out there trying to correct my backsliding. And I can slide backward too many times. Sometimes I feel like I take one step forward and two backward instead of one step backward and two forward. And that's what we ought to be doing is going forward all the time. But it's easy to go backward. See, he'll heal your backsliding. I will love them freely, for my anger is turned away from him. God can turn his anger away, or he can let it come on. Remember Moses on the mountain? God writes, cuts out some tablets, writes on there with his own finger the Ten Commandments. Moses goes back down. Meanwhile, backsliding Israel's down there, having some orgies and whatever else they're doing, making making golden calves and stuff. And Moses comes down there. He gets angry. He breaks the, the tablets. And God says, step aside. I'm going to wipe out the whole lot of them. Well, God was angry with those people. But Moses said, but you can't do that. He said, if you do that, take my life. In fact, I'll give you my life for theirs. Because God liked Moses. And so God repented of his anger and didn't kill all of them. They took a bunch of them out, but they needed to be, you know. He can bring them back. So, you know, he's got their minds recorded or their personalities or whatever. It's recorded somehow, some way, which we don't grasp or understand. But God is going to destroy the whole bunch. And then he says, okay, I... I'll, it repents me of my anger. I'll turn it away. I'm not going to destroy all those people. Give them life. I'll take some of them out. They don't always listen, though, do they? People don't always listen. He said in verse 5, I will be as the dew unto Israel. He shall grow as a lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. So God would turn his anger away and he would bring these people back and he would give them everything they needed because he's our God and he has a purpose too. He's got a mindset. I am going to have a family. Christ's got a mindset. I am going to have a wife. Do you want to be part of my wife? 
Do you want to be a part of my family? The father says. That's up to us. And we can say, nah, I'm going to do it my way, or we can listen to the Father and Christ and get a mindset to be there with them. David understood that. He knew that there was more than this physical life. So he had a mindset, and when he wrote this psalm, he knew that. It was encouraging. This is a really encouraging psalm. It should be uplifting to realize what God has offered to us if we would just set our mind in the plane that God has. He leads me in the path of righteousness. Didn't he do that to David? He led him in the path of righteousness. Well, he put him in a situation where he could do unrighteous things, but he was leading him to make the right decisions. And he did. He made right decisions. Made wrong decisions, but he made right decisions too, because he repented of what he did. Verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, As a human being, we walk in that valley of the shadow of death. I'm not talking about physical sleep. Because when we die physically, to God, it's your sleep. says it through the Scriptures. He knows who you are. He's got you recorded. But we walk in that valley of death where if we turn our back after having tasted of that good life, having turned our life around, ate of the Spirit, ate of the table of Christ, and then turned our back on Him. We could die. I mean, that's it. The lake of fire is that end result. And some ministers teach that if you're not with our little group, you're going to go to the lake of fire. Well, how do people do that? Only God can do that. Because only God knows your mind. So we walk in that shadow that we could turn our back on our Savior, on our husband-to-be, and our father, and being part of his family, we can turn our back. So we're walking in that shadow of death. He says, I will fear no evil. I'm not going to fear Satan. Doesn't it say, tell us, Peter or James, uh, if you resist Satan... That's evil. He will flee from you. But you have to resist. You've got to set your mind that I'm not going to do it his way. So you've got to resist Satan and he'll flee from you. For you are with me. Understand. David understood this. He said, Christ is with me. So when he read that, it was encouraging to him that no matter what happens in his life, God will be there with him. The Lord, as he knew him, he didn't know him as Christ, but he knew him as the Lord, was with him all the time. He was there helping him. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. And we heard that in sermons before. If God spanks us, it's because he loves us. He said the rod is to bring us closer to him. As the rod is to correct our children, it's to bring our children closer to us. Not to beat them half to death, but to correct them in the right way. So Christ 
or in this case David, was encouraged to know that God loved him. Again, we go back into was it Peter where he says that God will correct every child that he loves. He will correct Hey, if I'm being corrected and I know it's coming from God, I can be happy because I can say, God loves me. The Protestants sing that song, Jesus loves me, this I know. Because the Bible says so. Well, <laughs> we should know more than anybody else that God loves us because sometimes we feel like we're just beat down, run through the ringer, because God loves us. He loves you. He loves me. He loves our children. And as loving parents, if we correct our children because we really love them, we really love our children. Verse 5. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Are we not <laughs> around here in the presence of enemies that want to destroy the church? And yet, He provides a table. He gives us food that if we would like to, we could turn sermons on, which we ought to listen to these past sermons. But we have enough sermons that if we listen to two a day, you couldn't listen to all the sermons in one year. Couldn't do it. We have 475 sermons right now, so by the time you got to the 475 sermons, there'd be enough to fill out the rest of that time that you'd cover two sermons a day. It'd just be there. But sometimes we don't even go back and listen to sermons. I know it's hard when you're a speaker to go back and hear your sermons, but I do that every once in a while. I think, man, I feel sorry for those people. <laughs> I had to go through it the first time. <clears throat> so I have to go through it myself so I can get to it too. <laughs> but God presents a table in front of us. A table of good food. And sometimes we want to go over here to this other table and eat a little bit of it. That's Satan's table of the the cares and the frustrations of this world and all the stuff that the world does because it's glamorous. But God prepares a table for us that will give us eternal life because He loves us. Because He set His mind that He is going to have a family. And we need to say, I want to be a part of that family, don't I? So He sets a table before us. You anoint my head with oil. So when we get down and discouraged, He brings that anointing oil to encourage us and build us back up and say, Don't give up! Don't give up! Remember that speech that um, Winston Churchill made in the darkest hours of the Second World War? Germans were bombarding England, bombarding London, and he said, never give up. We will never give up. He set his mind to that. And he encouraged the whole country, never, never, never give up. Don't do it. 
So, that's encouraging. Don't give up. So we should say to each other, hey, don't give up. Keep going. Don't worry about it. I've got some friends that did that a couple days ago. <laughs> and I love them. Because, and, and, you know, we, we work together as a family. But God wants us not to give up. And he wants us to encourage each other. To help each other. He anoints our head with oil. Our cup runs over. More than anybody else, God pours out on us spiritual water to drink. It's flowing over if we just want to drink it. To be encouraged and keep going in the right path. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Because God promised that. Goodness and mercy. And what we heard back in that sermon on mercy was, if you are merciful, then you'll get mercy. But sometimes it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to be merciful. I find it hard sometimes to be merciful. And i got to work on that. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of God forever. Isn't that fantastic? If we stay with it, if we set our mind at doing the things that God wants, He's offered us the opportunity to live in His house forever. There's no end. No end. No discouragement. No want of food. That's the table He's put in front of us. We won't have no hurts, no pains, no sickness. We're going to live in God's house forever and ever. In 1 Peter 5, verse 4, 1 Peter 5, 4 says, And when that chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, shall appear, you, you, those that have set their mind to doing God's way, shall receive a crown of glory, a crown that doesn't fade. It's not going to go away. And we read in Revelation where it talks that God's promised a crown to all those that stay with Him. But if you take and dump that crown, chances are you might not get it again. You might have to come up in that second resurrection and be a child. A second generation child. Or you might come up in a resurrection that burns with fire and be totally wiped out. So God's offered us a crown that will never fade away. He gives us a table. So, the next thing is, what do we do? How can we help each other? Each other to have the right mindset. To have the right purpose of being here. Because I think part of our purpose of being here is to establish a family atmosphere so that God can then bring in a vast number of people. What, seven, eight, ten, fifteen thousand, whatever He chooses. It's His thoughts, His idea. But He has to have, He, he always starts small and works with a little group of people. 
And so he wants a setup crew or a group of people that he, he's got up there and say, now, now this is the way it's done. See, these people have, they, they struggled for five, six, seven years, whatever it winds up being. They struggled. But look at the results. By having the right mindset, by having the right purpose of life, look what happens. In James 5, verse 19, I believe that's where it says, if you see a brother make a you know, fall, you approach him. You help him see the right direction. You help him get his mind straight. And you cover us in. And you saved a child. And saved a bride of Christ. First Thessalonians 1, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. First Thessalonians 1, chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. How can we help each other? Paul speaking here says, We give thanks to God always for you all. We pray for everybody, everyone that God has called. Some we don't know. Some are not here. If there's going to be five, six, seven, ten thousand, they're not here, are they? He said, we should make mention of those people too. Because they're going to be part of the bride too. In our prayers. Remembering, remembering, you know, get your mind back remembering without ceasing your work, and he's saying to them, remembering your work of faith, your work of labor and love, your patience and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Remember what faith you have. These people have faith too. Maybe they don't have the same, we'll say, depth of understanding in some areas that we have. They might have better in another area. It's just that God chose to give us some understanding on Passover and on uh, atonement and different things like that. He chose to do that. It's His prerogative. But we need to remember our faith, our labor of love, and each other's faith, and each other's labor of love, and each other's patience. Because sometimes our patience can run thin. Knowing, brethren, beloved, Paul says, knowing you are beloved, brethren, you're beloved of the Father, your election of God. Remember that you were selected by God. So our purpose has to come down in encouraging each other to remember, what's your purpose? Have you set your mind in doing it God's way? Your purpose in life. Your purpose of doing it the way Christ wants it done. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 10 says that you might walk worthy of God. So as we make our path or walk our path, our daily path of life, we have to remember that we walk worthy of Christ. And it's hard sometimes because we get discouraged or we get hurt, or we don't see somebody healed, or we don't see somebody financially taken care of. But we should walk worthy 
walking worthy of the Lord into the pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. Become fruitful. We heard in the sermon that we need to be fruitful. Galatians 5, there's the fruit. We have to be fruitful and increase in knowledge. So we should spend the time studying and praying. We need to strengthen each other. That's something we can do. Helping each other. Holding each other's hand if it takes it. Somebody's down and sick. You give in. You help them out. But not to take advantage of each other either. I mean, sometimes we can take advantage of each other. We can let them do everything. We, you know, I've seen that happen in the church from... 1963 on in places where it's like setting up the hall. We'll let one person do it because they're willing so they take advantage of it. You know, it's strange to do that. So here's some things that we need to do. Psalm 119 verse 10 something that we should be doing and still trying to carry the same thing of having the right mindset. 119 verse 10 With my whole heart have I sought you. Ask yourself, do I wholeheartedly, am I wholeheartedly seeking God? That's the first thing. Matthew 6.33 again. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Do I wholeheartedly do that? Seek the king, seeking God. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. So go to God and say, Oh, help me not to stray aside. Your Christ, the good shepherd, looks out there and sees the flock together, but he counts them. There's one missing. The good shepherd goes out after that one sheep. And I thought of that, this fellow that called me. When a shepherd, supposedly, quote, shepherd of some of God's people, will tell a person, get lost, basically, he's not a good shepherd. Because Christ said, if he's out there and he's lost and he needs help, go get him, bring him back. Help him out, show him the right path. Well, that's what he tells us too, doesn't he? If you see a brother fall or a sister fall or a family going down, you go out there and encourage them to come back. Encourage them to stay with Christ. Not to discourage. Too easy to discourage. Your words have I hid in my heart. No. Do you really listen to what he says? Do you hide those things in your heart? Because that has to be the way you, you eat, you sleep, you walk, you talk, you play, you work. You've got to work and do those things with Christ. So it says, Hide in my words in your heart that I might not sin against you. Well, if we, you know, what did Christ say? He said, You have to be circumcised of heart. You want to do God's way, not because He says, This is the law, you will walk that way. No, He says, You do it because you live that way. It's the way you live your life. 
if you really love God, if you really want to do things His way, if you purposed in your mind, I'm going to do it God's way, it's in your heart. You're going to keep the commandments, aren't you? You're not going to steal. You're not going to go out here and build a calf or a pedestal or whatever it is. You're not going to have a Christmas tree. You're not going to have all these different things and bow down and worship them. You're not going to steal. You're not going to murder. You're not going to commit adultery. You're not going to covet what somebody else has. And surely people have things that some of us don't have. Do you get all uptight about it? I mean, go over here to Colorado City and look at some of these mammoth homes. Do you desire to have those mammoth homes? Do you desire what they have? They have the fate of going into the tribulation. They have the fate of having to die in a three, three and a half year period, some horrible death. Do you covet what they have? Do you want what they have? No. You hide the things in your heart that you might not sin against God because you live that way of life. Blessed are you, O O Lord. Teach me your statutes. My prayer in the mornings coming here doing a sermon is teach me, Father. Help me. Give me something that can help me, encourage me, or help me to grow toward you. And whether it's anybody else out there, at least I get something out of it. Verse 15. I will meditate on your precepts and have respect unto your ways. Not only prayer, not only Bible study, but constantly... You know, that's what David did. He meditated. That's why he was able to have that mindset. He would meditate on what God was doing consistently. And that's sometimes hard to do. You can get your mind off on the wrong thing real easy in this day and time. How do you do that? Turn the idiot box on. Go down to Las Vegas. (laughs) You know, turn a list of the news. You can get your mind in the wrong direction because it's discouraging. But then it's also encouraging because you see these things collapsing around us and know it's going to happen. You can be encouraged that it's not going to be long. We're going to be able to actually see Christ. We're going to be actually able to look at the Father eyeball to eyeball and know Him and see Him because we will be like Him. That should be so encouraging, so spectacular to realize that you will be able to let the Father directly talk to you and be there with Him. Because He says, I'm going to bring my throne down and be with you. You're going to be my people. I will be there. And you will be in a temple with me. Because God is there. And He is the light of that temple. So you'll be a part of it. That's encouraging, isn't it? that what's offered to us is so spectacular. The Bride of Christ at headquarters helping to to take care of the whole universe. To do it all. And to have a family of billions of people. Those that come through the 
millennium, and then those that are resurrected and finally turned, they are children. And we're going to be parents of those children. We're going to have a spectacular family. We're not going to be eunuchs, are we? But we should be spiritual eunuchs, right? All this other nonsense has got to be put out of our life. We should be eunuchs to Christ, spiritually speaking, and not delve in all their stuff that they do. Verse 16, I will delight myself in your statutes. Your statutes. All of what God has, not only the commandments, but his statutes. Whatever they might be, hey, I really want to do that. That's my delight. I'm really, I'm just happy to be able to do that. Delight myself in the statutes. I will not forget your words. It's easy, brethren, if we get ourselves tied to the world to forget God. I'm telling you, as a human being, that's easy for us to do. We can get sidetracked on worldly things and forget the words of God. And we don't want to do that. So God says, through David, who wrote a lot of encouraging things through the Psalms. You get discouraged, go back to the Psalms, and you can be encouraged. Read Christ's life and be encouraged because there's so much for us and so little against us. Christ said, I am with you. I am for you all the way. Who can be your enemy? Can life or death? Nothing. If Christ is for us, nothing can be against us. Oh, they'll try to kill you and they'll hate you and all that other stuff. But Christ is for us. He's going to give us eternal life. Living in His house. Married to Him. Peace that we can't even comprehend the kind of peace that's going to be there. So what do we do? We have to put discouragement out. We have to set our mind to what's here. We have to set our mind to encourage each other. We have to set our mind to love. And as Christ said in John 13, He said, The world will know you are my family, my disciples, if you love one another. Do we love each other? Are we ready to die for each other? Are we ready to die for Christ? Daniel was. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was. All the prophets. Paul was. All the disciples or those that were living at that time that were with Christ. We read everything in um, Hebrews 11. Those people were ready to die for Christ. They loved Christ. They loved His way. Is that where we stand? Why are you here, women? What's your purpose? What's your mindset? Is it the same that Christ had? That you will give everything for Christ, for God's plan?